because uh, Jeremy and Miss Kristen are going to be taking over from service here, and Jeremy loves to stop on time. So I think God is making sure that he does it. So put your seatbelt on. These are, these are our children's pastors. For those of you who don't know, they are freaking awesome. I've known them for several years. They have spent time in my house. I've spent time at their house. They, they feed me on a regular basis, which is freaking awesome. I love to get called, hey, Greg, we're cooking. You know, nothing wrong with it. Hey, Greg, you want to come over and eat? The answer is yes. Yeah, I'll pretty much come every time. But they do an awesome job. They have been children's pastors for four years. Yeah, mm-hmm, four years. So they're just doing a fantastic job. Uh, yeah, amen, amen, amen. <laughs> If Jeremy would just get out of the way, I think things would be better. You know, amen, amen. So y'all give it up for our children pastors, please. way, way, way outside my comfort zone. I'm used to being around little people, and y'all are quite big. Um, (laughs) So um, I would rather have teeth pulled than speak in public. I actually, um, the one class I failed in college was public speaking because I would not do my final speech at the end of the the quarter. So yeah, look at God. So um, before we get in, I just want to give a little background. you want a title for the message, it's called, Do You Trust Me? And I'm going to be talking about trusting God even when the circumstances don't look great. Oh, I don't need those, but thank you. That's Asher, everybody, if you don't know her. Um, that's our youngest. So I did not grow up in church. Um, in fact, the church that I did grow up, the church that I did get growing up came uh, courtesy of my granny, who I lost last summer, and that was a big loss for me, so... Um, she introduced me to Jesus by taking me to VBS uh, the summer before I turned 12, and that's when I accepted him and was baptized because in that church you couldn't get baptized before you were 12. Um, but as soon as I moved out of her class in Sunday school, I kind of stopped going to church because I had an encounter with Jesus, but I didn't fully experience him. Um, and it was 15 years before I entered back into a relationship with him, so... Um, which leads to a pretty rough childhood. Um, I made some pretty reckless decisions, got pregnant my senior year of high school. (laughs) Uh, Not with Asher. Um, I grew up with my dad and my stepmom. I didn't have contact with my mom until I was 18 years old. Um, And that wasn't her fault, that was situational thing with my dad and my stepmom. It wasn't a good place to be, so. Um, So when I tell you that I held a big grudge against God, it is no exaggeration whatsoever. Um, I had my walls up against him, against my mom, against my dad. Basically, anybody who looked my way, I put a wall up and said, do not enter. Um, I graduated, like I said, I was pregnant, five months pregnant when I graduated high school. I had a full-ride scholarship to LSU, and I lost that. Um, So there was a whole lot of bitterness there. Um, I... I married Caitlin's father and then divorced him before I was 22. I was told that was the only option I had. So um, then I met Jeremy not long after. (laughs) 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 
by the way, wasn't interested in me at all. I wasn't. He's like, hey, my name's Jeremy. I said, sorry, I'm not interested. <laughs> and look at God. Um, look at God now. God, God's got jokes, y'all. So we have Caitlin, who will be 22 in September. We have Stephen, who is 13, and then Asher, the baby, who is 10. Um, you're my baby. So I'm going to talk a little bit about my testimony with her because I think that's where this whole trust thing is going to line up. That's where I learned to trust God the hardest. Um, and you can chime in whenever you want. Like, oh, you got this, girl. You're doing great. Whew. Okay. So when Asher was 11 months old... She got real sick, and we took her to the doctor, and her pediatrician was like, look, there's a murmur. Y'all need to see, go have an echocardiogram done. And so we did, and the tech was like, oh, you'll hear from a cardiologist in a couple of days. Well, four hours later, we were getting a call from the cardiologist saying, I need you in my office tomorrow. Um, She was diagnosed with Schoen's complex, um, and at 15 months old, she had her first open heart surgery to repair her aortic artery. Oh, okay. (laughs) Thanks, son. Um, And we had just gotten back into church, like maybe a year or two prior to that. Um, So I was still new to the whole trusting God when everything is coming at you. Um, I was angry, and everybody was offering scripture and what I can say. Oh, sorry, 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 Michael. what I can only call as misguided encouragement, telling us that we needed to repent from all of our sin. We need to forgive everybody that we were harboring any unforgiveness for, and we had to believe for a miracle, which I could get on board believing for a miracle, and I'm like, okay, well, I can forgive people. Like, I forgive everybody. I forgive me. I forgive God. I forgive everybody. Um, I repent of any sin I've I've had. I repent for any sin I'm going to do tomorrow because I'm going to sin tomorrow because that's just what people do. Um, and it got me nowhere. And so finally, I surrendered to him because I was at the point to where I'm like, okay, I've, I feel like this whole blame is being put on me. Like, your child was born with this defect because of something you did or because of some sin you haven't repented for or for some unforgiveness you're harboring. Like, your child's being punished for something you did. And that was coming from church people, y'all. I wasn't coming from the outside world. That was coming from church people. Like, I already had enough guilt thinking, okay, well, maybe if I hadn't had that turkey subway every day of my pregnancy, like, this wouldn't have happened, you know? Like, there was that physical guilt that I was battling, and then I was having spiritual guilt thrown on top of that, and um, I just, I couldn't deal with it anymore. So I was, I was just crying out to God. I was yelling at him. I was mad. I was, I was throwing me a good old, old old-fashioned temper tantrum. I said, okay, God, this isn't working. I need you to give me something. And um, I finally opened my Bible to John 9. And can you all pull that up? So John 9, verse 1 through 3. So a little bit of background on it. I don't know if you all are familiar with this story. So Jesus is with the disciples, and they come across a man who was born blind. And so it says, as Jesus was walking along, he saw a man who had been born blind from birth. Rabbi, the disciples asked him, why was this man born blind? Was it because of his own sins or his parents' sins? And Jesus said, it was not because of his sins or his parents' sins. This happened so the power of God could be seen in him. And once that 
I got that revelation, it clicked, and I hung onto that. Like that was, that was my cornerstone scripture. Because of the, okay, so the disciples believed that bad things were happening to people because of punishment for God. They didn't know that God was love and good, and they just thought, okay, if bad stuff's happening, you did it. Like you did something to deserve that. Okay, can't look at you right now. Um, so they saw this man who had born blind, been born blind, and they had questioned if he had sinned. Like, how did a baby sin before he got into the world to be born blind? Like, what did this kid do? Um, and that just stuck with me because I'm like, okay, so I know that God didn't create her that way. Like, she, he didn't create that defect. That was a defect that was put on her from the enemy. Um, and Jesus is saying... I can't, I can't look at it. She's moving. Um, okay. And so it finally clicked with me um, from God's perspective that he didn't see the cause or the sin or the punishment. Rather, he saw it as her purpose. She was created to walk this out with us. Um, and so I'm going to go into a little definition of purpose. And purpose, according to Webster's, is the reason for which something is done or created or for which something exists. So um, in Esther 4.14, it's paraphrased that perhaps you were born for such a time as this. And maybe Asher's, maybe Asher's defect was created for such a time as this to where we can speak into people who are going through something similar who don't have that, that faith cornerstone and tell them, you know, it's okay. Like, God's got this. Um, he's got a divine purpose for every decision and every action, every healing even every not now. Like, that's the hardest thing to do when you're trusting God is to acknowledge that maybe the answer that you want is not the one that he's going to give you. He's not going to leave you hanging. He's not going to not answer you, but it's not always going to be in the way that you want it to be answered. Um, and we just have to remember that in Romans 8, it says that we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good and for those who are called according to his purpose. So even though this was a whole bad situation, God, we knew that God was going to turn it around for good. You, you want to add anything? Nope. You're doing like, you're rolling, babe. It's just good. Look, y'all are going to be out here by like 1120. Um, okay, so about a year and a half ago, I remember in my devotional time, hearing God ask me for the first time, do you trust me? I'm like, well, yeah, duh. And I said, okay, okay, of course, yeah, duh, God, you know I do. And then I went about my day, like I didn't think anything else of it. And he'd ask me that from time to time, do you trust me? And I'm like, yeah, God, I got this, I got this. Yeah, I know, you're good, I trust you. And it was, there's more of an urgency the further it went on. And I finally, like, popped off at him like Peter did, and I said, God, you know I trust you. Like, God, Jesus had been asking Peter, do you love me? And Peter's like, well, yeah, God. And then, like, the third time, he snapped, and he's like, you know I love you. And that's, I had that moment where I'm like, well, duh, obviously I trust you. And uh, <laughs> so I remember making a note of that, and I wrote it on a script of a piece of paper, and I said, okay, do you trust me? And I put it in quotations, and I'm like, okay, I'm going to come back to that. I'll touch that later. And, uh, and then I was getting more scripture, and it was like, okay, so maybe this is going to be a how do you respond when God says no kind of message. Um, and I typed it up, and I held on to it for like a year, and uh, it never went anywhere, so I'm like, okay. 
Well, then in March of 2022, Azure started complaining about heart palpitations. And we went to the cardiologist and, like I said before, her specific defect that she was diagnosed with consisted of a combination of four defects on the left side of, the, of her heart. So she had the first repair of her aortic artery at 15 months old. She had what they called as a bicuspid aortic valve, um, subaortic stenosis, aortic stenosis, and mitral valve regurgitation. She actually had five defects on the left side of her body or left side of her heart. And her diagnosis was her diagnosis. At the, that was the end of the story. We, we were like, okay, that's what science says. We know that God says different. So we're just going to keep walking this out that no matter what the cardiologist report says, we know that God says that she's healed and that she's whole the way that he created her to be. Um, so she goes on the medication for the palpitations. And then in November, we go back for her regular checkout and, or checkup. And the narrowing at her subaortic membrane had increased by 50% from April. So at that point, her cardiologist was like, okay, guys, y'all need to prepare yourself. She's going to need intervention. Um, he was okay with waiting until the end of cheer season in March because I don't know if y'all know this, like cheer is big, big, big for her. So we were like, can we wait? And he was like, yeah, that's fine. I'm okay with waiting. Uh, the team in Arkansas was okay with waiting. She just had to get checked out every month from that point on. And God is still talking to me. Do you trust me? Do you trust me? And it's louder and it's more urgent. Do you trust me? And then in January, we went to her first of the monthly checkups and her uh, stenosis had again increased by 50%. So at this point, she's only receiving 30% of the blood volume to the back of her, uh, through her aortic valve going down her back to the bottom extremities. Um, her left ventricle had increased in size, and the cardiologist was like, she's got no, she can do no activity because she's at a stroke risk. My 10-year-old is at a risk of having a stroke. Um, so we were put on restricted activity, and they moved her surgery up to the 1st of February, and God's still saying, do you trust me? And in the back of my mind, I'm like, yeah, I trust you, but then I'm like, I have these circumstances coming at me where I'm like, how do I trust you through this? Like, how do... How do I, I know you're good, but how do I trust that you're good, basically? And God, yeah, because the Bible, Jesus loves me, this I know for the Bible tells me so. Um, and he said, do you trust me? And I said, yeah, I know you're good, God. I know you've got this. And he said, that's not what I asked you. And I'm like, okay, er, hand slap. He said, I didn't ask you if you had faith in me or if you have faith in what I can do. I asked you, do you trust me? So there's a difference between faith and trust. I don't know if y'all know that. So Webster's definition of faith is a belief and trust and loyalty to God, a firm belief in something for which there is no proof, which is echoed in Hebrews 11.1. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for and the evidence of things not seen. So in order to trust God, you've got to have faith in him. You can't have trust without faith. So the Webster's definition of trust is the assured reliance on the character, ability, strength, or truth of someone or something. It's to place confidence in someone or something. So in order to trust God, you have to have confidence in him. So he asked me again, do you trust me? Sure. Yeah. I mean, I guess. Yeah. Sure. So how are faith and trust different, right? So faith has to come first. We have to have faith that 
God created everything, that he sent his only son to die for our sins, even though there's no tangible or scientific, scientific proof that he exists. Trust is built through a relationship with God. If you don't have a relationship with God, you're not going to trust him. Um, trust is never guaranteed. I don't know if anybody has ever had somebody let them down and then bounced right back and said, oh, I trust you 100%. Like, if I say, please, please house sit my dog, and my dog dies while you're house sitting me, I'm, pro or I'm not going to ask you to house sit my dog again if I get another dog. Like, that trust is not there. That's right, Jessica. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. Let it lighten the mood, okay? So trust is a deliberate action that's a product of your faith. You can have faith in God that he is good and that he only wants good things for you, but do you trust that he's good? Do you trust that he only wants good things for you, um, even when your circumstances are trying to make you think otherwise? So in short, faith is a choice that you make, but trust is something that you do. Hey, Michael, can you play my video? I got a little video. It's a cartoon. That's kids' church, y'all, right? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, of course, I had to bring a cartoon out. Okay, so we're going to take some creative imagination here, and we're going to pretend that God is Gru. Okay? And we're Margo. Okay, so God is saying, trust me. Like, there's this ugly situation, and you feel like you've got no other option, and God is saying, trust me. And then, like Margo says, she's like, but you gave us back. I feel like sometimes we get to, in that position like, okay, well, but you didn't do this, or 
I didn't get the answer I wanted the first time. Um, like we're, we get let down from a past experience and God is just saying, trust me, trust me. And so we, we step out a little bit more. We take a couple of baby steps. We step out. We're like, okay, this feels good. I can trust here. And then we get a little more bold and we're like, okay, we'll take another step. And then we throw our little sister over the edge. God catches them and um, we're, tr- we're trusting a little more. And then the enemy comes up behind you and snags you back and says, this situation's pretty big. Like, you can't really trust God with that. And then he tries to make us forget that God is faithful. Um, and in the middle of our struggle, sometimes we don't see that he's hanging on that line with us. So, um, okay. So back to where we were. Um, God was asking, do you trust me? And I had to approach him as a point of, okay, I do trust you. I know that the first experience didn't go the way that I wanted to, but you were still in the middle of it. We were at the hospital. Asher was fine. She recovered great. Um, and it gave us the opportunity to minister to other families that were in that critical care um, center. Jeremy spent I don't know how many hours pacing the hallway praying for other families and laying hands on door frames because you can't really go into other kids' hospital rooms that's frowned upon. (laughs) So um, we knew that there was a purpose that we were there and that we were walking through what we were having to walk through. So when we found out that she was on immediate restrictions and having surgery, we kind of sat down and we were like, okay, so what are we trusting God for in this moment? So we had a couple of things that we lined out. We were trusting him, one, for our finances, and we were believing for Philipp- on Philippians 4.19 that you can be sure that God will take care of everything you need, his generosity exceeding even yours in the glory that pours from Jesus. And that's the message translation. God provided every single penny for our travel expenses, for her medications, her hospital co-pays, food, hotel, lodging, fuel, everything. Like, we had people in the community that we didn't know that set up a fundraiser selling T-shirts for her. We had people in different churches that were like, hey, what's your Venmo? And we're sending hundreds of dollars to us through Venmo. Like, so we went up there. And we didn't have to pay for anything out of our own pocket. God had provided every single penny that we needed. Um, And then some, we came back and we were able to give money to people in our community that were going through situations where they needed help too. So um, we were trusting him for their finances, and of course he showed up in that regard. Um, We were trusting him for her recovery. Um, I prayed Isaiah 53, 4 through 5, every single day leading up to that surgery. And sitting at the hospital is just running through my brain, you know. Can you pull that up, please? Isaiah 53, 4 through 5. Yeah. So, yet it was our weakness he carried, and it was our sorrows that weighed him down. And we thought his troubles were a punishment from God and a punishment for his own sins. But he was pierced for our rebellion, crushed for our sins, and he was beaten so we could be whole. And he was whipped so we could be healed. So it's just praying that, okay, God, you went through this. You laid everything down so she could be whole, so she could be healed. And um, we're still believing that this last intervention is it. Like, we're not, we're not going to have to walk through this anymore. Um, and then we were believing for our faith over fear. Um, 
So no matter what the situation looks like on this side of heaven, God's already claimed that victory. Um, when they rolled her out of that holding room to go into surgery, I took a deep breath, I whispered a little prayer, and then I watched her go. And Jeremy's like, are you okay? I'm like, yeah, <laughs> well, okay. Um, and I just remember shaking, like just kind of like I am now. Jeremy did not say, are you okay? Yes, you did. No, I didn't. I turned away because I was not okay. He said he asked I, me if I was okay. I had a rough one at that one. Yeah. So I, I just remember shaking and like, I don't know if it was emotions or concern um, or anything like that, but I think that it was more of a, okay, God, now it's your turn to show up and show out. Like I had done everything that I could physically do. I had made sure she took her medications. We had made sure that she was on her rest and not doing anything that could cause her heart rate to accelerate. So we'd done all that we could do, and now it was up to God. And there's, there's a relief in that. I mean, I know it sounds counterproductive, but there's, there's a peace in that. Once you settle into that, okay, this is 100% on God, then the hard work is off of you. Like, you just sit back and you enjoy the ride. You got something to add? That could also be one of the hardest moments in your life. Yes. When you know that it's God and, and you're trusting God, you've built all your, your, your faith is built up, you're trusting in the Lord, and, and you get to that situation at that, at that pivotal moment in that situation where you literally have zero control left. That is where, that is probably the most absolute difficult part of any situation because that is truly when your faith kicks in because we can all talk the talk. We can all stand up and say, yep, I believe God. I trust God. I have faith in God. And until that moment comes, will your actions dictate, do you really trust him and do you truly have faith in him? And I broke down. We're human, right? That's just what it is. And I reached out to my my source that, 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 that kept me inspired, that kept me going, um, and it wasn't Kristen, even though she is my helpmate, but then, you know, she's going through it too, and we all have people that, that sharpen. I don't want to put it up to my mouth. Harry, same for you. I'm just kidding. Um, so we all have those moments, right? And I reached out to my guys, and I said, listen, I'm struggling hard this time, like, when the, the moment they wheeled her out, like I almost, my knees buckled. I almost hit the floor. I didn't let her see it because she was going away and I turned away. But I had faith in God. I have, you know, I have, I'm pretty regimented if you, if you can believe that, right? I, there's, there's not much that startles me. I don't cry much. Um, I do have a short temper sometimes, but I'm very structured and military. So when this kind of stuff happens, it's easy for me to trust God and to follow him. But when they, when you, when you're going through a situation like specifically this one, and we watched your little girl be wheeled away, knowing, wholeheartedly knowing that God is involved in this. You can, I mean, the, the presence was there. There's no doubt it's still difficult. So your faith will truly be determined when you have zero control left. Back to you. Okay, thank you. So... They wheeled her out, and at this time, I mean, this is in February of this year, Arkansas Children's was still operating under COVID guidelines, so we couldn't have any family in that waiting room with us. We couldn't have anybody there. It was me, Jeremy, and a TV. Uh, and God. Yeah, God was there. Um, both of our moms were at the hospital, and we would have to leave the, the surgical floor to go downstairs 
Yeah, they snuck in. Like They were rule breakers. Like, they weren't supposed to be in the hospital, but they were like, hey, we're just going to come in. And they got their little visitor tag, and then they were supposed to leave after we got her off into surgery, and they, they just didn't leave. Um, so we would go out, and we would visit with them, kind of decompress, because when you're sitting in that room by yourself with just your thoughts, like, it... You can go sideways if you're not careful. So we would go decompress, grab a cup of coffee. Okay, the surgeon says everything's going well. And then we would go back and wait. So when the surgery was completed, he came out and he said something that still blows my mind. It was like an hour. It, yeah, it was quick, like super quick. And uh, he came out. He, Hold on. This is when you know God shows up, period. No, you don't. Me? Okay. So. Just a little background, since November of 2013, she has seen a cardiologist and had echocardiograms no less than 30 times. An echocardiogram takes a picture of your heart, shows how it's functioning, um, all that good stuff. So the first thing that he said after the, telling us the surgery was a success was, by the way, her bicuspid aortic valve that's in her records, it's not bicuspid. It's a perfectly formed aortic valve with all three leaflets present and working like they're supposed to. So, for, what was it, eight years, we had been told her valve is incomplete. Her valve is not working the way it's supposed to. Her valve is going to be an issue when she gets older. And, uh... MRI confirmed what they were saying. The echocardiograms confirmed what they were saying. And then the surgeon gets in there, and it's, it was nothing but a but God because there's no way that there was all of that documentation showing what they were saying for God not to be in the middle of that, to show up and make it to where it was working the way that it was supposed to be doing. And uh, that's why he said, do you trust me? This past Monday, I went for her three-month checkup, and they did an echo, and I got to see that, that, that valve working the way, that, the way that God created it to work. And uh, that was something I never thought that we would see. Um, so, how are some ways that we can trust God according to Scripture? I'm going to get back on track, otherwise I'm going to cry. Okay, so one, we can trust God with his promises. Going back to Genesis 15 through 21 is the story of Abraham, Sarah, and Isaac. Abraham and Sarah were old, like older than all y'all. And uh, God told Abraham and promised him, you are going to be the father of many nations. And Abraham's like, but bro, I'm old. My wife's even older. How's that going to happen? But it did. And then he told Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, and he took him up to the mountain. He was getting ready to sacrifice him because, by God, God told me I'm going to be the father of many nations. So even if I sacrifice this child, there will be more. I just have to be obedient. And then, of course, God provided the ram. Um, and we go from there. And we can trust God because he doesn't lie or change his mind because he's not a man, according to Numbers 23, 19. People will let you down every second of every day. God doesn't. 
We can trust God when things are good, but we also can trust God when things are bad. I don't know if y'all have read the book of Job. Oh, boy. I don't know that I had the, I, I have the endurance or the strength to trust him the way that Job did throughout that entire experience. That man lost everything, and at the end of it, he still said, God is good. We, can, we should trust God that he's going to show up even when the circumstances don't look good. Um, David defeated Goliath with a rock and a slingshot. He had an eight-foot man standing in front of him. He was probably Stephen's size, and he took him out with a rock and a slingshot. That circumstance didn't look good. The Israelites were backed up against the Red Sea, and God parted the sea and let them pass through, and then the Egyptian army was taken out behind them. He shut the mouths of the lions for Daniel. He was in the fiery furnace with Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. And Jesus' entire earthly ministry was showing up in the middle of people's messes, loving on them, healing them, delivering them from possessions, raising them from the dead. That's just what Jesus did. Jesus showed up and got there in the middle of the mess. I'm going to close out with what happens when we trust God. Oh, I went a little long. I'm sorry, y'all. All right, so when we trust God, he gives us perfect peace. In Isaiah 26, 3 through 4, and John 14 through 27, it talks about the perfect peace that he gives us when we trust him. So when we trust him completely, we relinquish our emotions, our fears, our concerns, and acknowledge that he's in control. I don't know how many of you are type A control freaks like me, but that is the hardest thing that you will probably ever do when you're faced with a situation. When we trust God, our fears are eliminated. Um, and trusting him eliminates our fears because we learn to lean on his understanding and not our own. His understanding is always good. It's always perfect. And we just need to learn that he can and does take care of us even when the physical evidence hasn't shown up yet. And finally, when we trust God, the enemy is defeated. Um, can you bring up 2 Kings 6? 8 through 17, and this is where I'm going to close out. I need that back. So when the king of Aram was at war with Israel, he would confer with his officers and say, we will mobilize our forces at such and such a place. But immediately, Elisha, the man of God, would warn the king of Israel, do not go near that place, for the Arameans are planning to mobilize their troops there. So the king of Israel would send word to the place indicated by the man of God. Time and time again, Elijah warned the king so that he would be on the alert there. Then the king of Aram became very upset over this. He called his officers together and demanded, Which of you is the traitor who has been informing the king of Israel of my plans? It is not us, my lord the king, one of the officers replied. Elisha, the prophet in Israel, tells the king of Israel even the words you speak in the privacy of your bedroom. Go and find out where he is, the king commanded, so I can send troops to seize him. And the report came back. Elijah is at Dothan. So one night, the king of Aram sent a great army with many chariots and horses to surround the city. And when the servant of the man of God got up early the next morning and went outside, there were troops, horses, and chariots everywhere. Oh, sir, what will we do now? The young man cried to Elijah. And Elijah said, do not be afraid. For there are more on our side than on theirs. 
And then Elisha prayed, O Lord, open his eyes and let him see. And the Lord opened the young man's eyes, and when he looked up, he saw that the hillside around Elisha was filled with horses and chariots of fire. So when God calls us to an earthly battle, there's always a spiritual battle behind it that we don't see. Um, In that scripture, Aramis' army was coming for Elijah. His servant saw the army and freaked out. Um, And Elijah told him not to be afraid because those are with us are more than those who are with them. Um, And then Romans 8.31 says, if God is for us, then who can be against us? So you're not in this battle alone. Um, It's just a matter of training yourself to fall back into that default of, okay, I don't care what the circumstance is saying. I don't care how it looks, what's going on. I'm going to trust God no matter what. That's all I got. So to wrap this all up today, when you're going through something, and, and none of us ever want to go through anything horrendous or, or see anybody hurt, wound, sick, or whatever, right? Just know that not only do you have God on the spiritual side, but you have a you have a earthly family too that is there. It's all the company that you keep reaching out. You don't ever have to go through things alone, right? We didn't have to. We had amazing pastors. We had amazing friends. We had amazing family support. You know, I can tell you through our whole situation, knowing that God was completely in it for even the last, how old is she now? She's, she's 10. She's 10. So, right? I do. It's just whatever, right? That's why there's a calendar in mind. But uh, so even in the last 10 years, like we had, we've had two pastors by our side for the entire thing, and that's been Greg and Angel. They went through the first one with us. They went through the second one with us. There's not going to be a third one. We know that, right? We just know that. Um, just knowing that that trust in God is there, and that's hard to do. Like I said, that, that your faith is going to only show when you, when you have no control left. But that trust is a choice that you're going to make to God. Do you, are you choosing to trust God? Right, And then when you're going through this, know that you have a community to support. Our church, you, the family, not this building, but the church, which is inside of you, um, supported us. I can't even say beyond belief, because I believed it the entire time. Like, I've just seen it, and we've experienced it, and I hope that none of you guys really ever have to experience something like this because nobody ever wants to see anybody go through this. But when you are in a moment like that, trusting, trusting God, because we knew that, like Kristen said earlier, there was a purpose. There was an absolute purpose we went the first time, and there was an absolute purpose we went the second time. And I found out my purpose the second time was I had 13 babies that needed hearts that I had to pray for. 13 babies. How do you pray for that? Like, how do you, like, I went to the chapel and I got real. Like, I just got real with God. And there was just me, my Bible, the Holy Spirit, and God just praying for babies, praying for families, praying for the entire church, the entire church. I mean, the entire hospital. So there's always a purpose in the middle of the storm that you're just not seeing. So when you go through this, that trust is a big thing. The faith is a big thing. But make sure that you pray for eyes of understanding and ears to hear because God's trying to tell you something. Um, And with that, I can close us out in prayer. Can I? Okay.
Really? Okay. Well, if you would all stand or sit, whatever you're comfortable with, I'm good. Father, we just